when you're in a team with people from different cultures and different backgrounds and, and you know there's always a lot of noise outside the change room working with those diverse cultures and, and people and, and understanding their point of view on things cultivates a much more harmonious and I think a much more effective positive sort of team environment. Welcome to episode 161 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from people who inspire and motivate others to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. As an elite team sport athlete, the ability to work together in an effective team is critical for success. Winning teams are those that effectively draw on the strengths of all players. Bruce Gitte is the Director of Football at Adelaide United after retiring from a successful international soccer career. Bruce represented Australia nine times for the Socceroos. He also served as a member on the Professional Footballers Australia Executive Committee for more than four years and scored a total of 41 goals in 151 games with Adelaide United. In today's episode of Be The Drop, Bruce discusses the skills he's learnt playing in teams with diverse cultures and the value multiple perspectives add to effective teamwork. He also shares his tips on the importance of honesty and managing expectations in order to communicate effectively. This is Bruce's version of Be The Drop. If you're looking to keep up to date with the latest podcasting trends, then I wholeheartedly recommend subscribing to Pod News, which I've linked in the show notes or head to podnews.net in your web browser. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for joining me on our next episode of Be The Drop. Thanks for having me. You have brought your item of significance and that's something that gives us a little bit of background about you and connects <laughs> us with your community. Um, and do you know what? I may have guessed that this is what you were going to bring in. Yeah, it's no surprise. So can you tell us what it is and explain the story behind it? It's a football, a soccer ball, and it pretty much sums me up in couple of words soccer ball soccer player uh, soccer is you know what I'm probably best known for and has been a massive part of my life ever since I was six or seven years old and, and running around kicking a ball all the way till I was about 32 and, and retired yeah I can't imagine my life without without the beautiful game hence why I brought that ball and so you mentioned then you retired you know you retired from playing actively mm. but you're still involved with football yes yes definitely so I'm the director of football at Adelaide United Football Club, professional Australian football club for, for those that may not know. So like I said, it's been such a massive part. The game has been such a massive part of, of my life from a young kid with, with hopes and dreams and kicking the ball around in the little cul-de-sac where, where we used to live all the way to playing in big stadiums all over the world and playing against some of the world's best players representing my country to being a, a, an executive committee member on the players union board um the pfa to now in another off-field capacity being the director of football and sitting on the other side of the fence with a lot of players that i i know or have played with or at least against 
and negotiating their contracts and deciding who stays and who goes. It's all sort of happening. So my life from when I was about seven has been to do with football in some way, shape or form. So that's why I brought the soccer ball. (laughs) And, you know, I'm sure there are so many stories, but what was it like that first time stepping on the field, representing Australia, crowd surrounding you, Talk us through that moment. How does that feel, doing what you love and representing your country? Yeah, it's hard to sum it up in words. I think, you know, if you speak to any Olympian or any other person who's played for the nation, they'd also find it a bit difficult to sum it up in words. First time, so surreal. For me, it was, I was playing with people I've only ever seen on TV till that, my first training camp. So if, if you look at like the Harry Kules, the Tim Cahills, the Mark Vadukas, Bresciano's, Grellas, all those sort of players that from when I was young, you know, I made my debut when I was about 20, 21. So they were a bit older than me, far more established sort of uh, European top class players. So it was just surreal. You know, when you only ever seen someone on TV and then you see them in real life, you're like, is that actually? <laughs> oh, you're a real person. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was one of those sort of moments. Obviously, you're, you're very proud and it's also young. It's not like, oh, I've made it now. I didn't have that sort of sensation. I had like more of a feel that this is so awesome. I got to make sure I take this chance with both hands. I had that sort of self-realization and playing with such quality players it was rare that young players got, got an opportunity. The emotions were running pretty high, if you like, but I was still sort of calm in my mind in the sense that, you know, it took a lot of work to get here, but let's not just be satisfied with that. Let's try and push on. You're on the world stage representing your country and you're still like, right, keep working. You've got stuff uh, to do. Uh, yeah, because I'm like, <laughs> this is a massive opportunity that probably everyone in this stadium would like to have. There were a lot of pretty good young players coming through probably snapping at my heels so sports pretty brutal in general soccer especially because there's just so many people who play it so it's very much do well do well now or maybe you never get another chance so I always had that in the back of my mind it's interesting because, you know, to me, I think there's a lot of parallels between sport and business and being successful in, in either one mm. requires a lot of dedication, a lot of effort. You know, even when you're at the top of your game, you've still got to keep that focus, keep the work. You know, it's not like then you can step back and, and ride the wave. Exactly. So I, I find a lot of synergies between sport and, and business as well, whether it's, you know, leadership, teamwork, all sort of buzzwords I know today, but it's all I've known, you know. But I definitely think people who have played in an elite level, especially in a team sport, those that transition into business or banking or some of these sort of more corporate world roles are really well equipped. I definitely think sports people have that edge. If they're relatively intelligent, then then having that edge of teamwork, you know, working with people from different places, diversity, um, leadership and all those sort of qualities, you know, being able to bounce back and everything, real attributes that sports people can harness and transition out of sport into business with. And it's interesting you men- mentioned diversity then as one of the things that you learn through sport. How does that play out? Sorry, pardon the pun. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, massively. I think in my experience anyway, I had quite a global experience in my career. So I lived in Turkey for a few years. I lived in China, South Korea for a couple of years, Indonesia. And that's one great thing about, about soccer. Exploring the world's always been awesome. Gives you the perspective of others and the way the media has always run in my belief but it's been more exposed now the biases and 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 all the rest of it you can see how it sort of manifests on the flip side the problem is if you've only ever lived in australia 
and you've only ever consumed Australian media, <laughs> you've got no idea. <laughs> you've got no idea how the world sort of operates, right? So uh, when, you, when you're in a team with people from different cultures and different backgrounds and, and, you know, there's always a lot of noise outside the change room, working with those diverse cultures and, and people and, and understanding their point of view on things cultivates a much more harmonious and I think a much more effective, positive sort of team environment. Mm, mm, really important, fundamentally important to so many issues that I think we face today. I've heard the terms echo chambers, you know, particularly with social media and your friends with people that share similar ideas, have similar experiences and live in similar countries and consume similar media. So then your thoughts and ideas get echoed back to you. So the more you hear them back, then the more right you think Validated. you are. Yeah, yeah. Then you, they think they're valid. So, you know, what you're talking about, really stepping outside of those bubbles, putting yourself, you know, in someone else's shoes or, or trying to try a different lens on is so incredibly important. So it's a matter of trying to turn that around and open those conversations and listen more, even if their voice is not loud. Yeah, I think, I think listening and I think everyone tries to do the right thing. You've got to be talking to the right individuals as well and at Adelaide United though you're running programs trying to encourage you know diversity and getting a whole range of different kids involved tell us about some of those programs so I've been back since June played here for a while quite a number of years but the last 18 months so even before I arrived the club really started to try to get more involved in the community I think Port Adelaide Football Club, the, the AFL team here, does it really well. I think I think they're sort of like a market leader, definitely in, from a sporting perspective, definitely in in South Australia and, and if not the, the country, they they got really good programs running. So the community piece as a footballer and someone from multicultural sort of background, I take a keen interest in it and, and I'm always happy to go out and speak to different youths old older people or you know middle-aged people or whatever you want to call it i don't, I don't care who it is if 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 i get asked to go out and, and speak about you know my journey or uh, leadership or how to break through the glass ceiling or all this sort of stuff that i that i get asked I'm, I'm happy to go have that discussion with them but i think as a club because our sport is so multicultural and because our team is so multicultural and the added benefit is a lot of new arrivals, a lot of refugees, a lot of people who come to this country. They might not know the language, they might not know the culture and customs or whatever you like, but they do know soccer. You know, they do know football. That's that's probably the one thing that they bring to this country that, that makes them feel a part of it. You know, so as a club, if we can get players more more involved out in the in the community, if if we can run programs that helps maybe new arrivals attend school more often, that, that can have a positive impact on bullying, you know, whether whether that's an issue at schools which then has a flaw issue on education and mental health and, and all the sort of research pieces are, are there to, to explain it. I think sport in general, to be honest, and in that space, soccer specifically, can have a massive positive impact, whether it be new arrivals assimilating at school, you know, because I went to school in Ivory Coast for three months when I was six years old. I could speak French, not as well as the kids there, but I could speak French fluently, but I didn't have any friends there for that period. So that's how I started playing soccer because that's what everyone did. So to feel part of it, it's like, well, I might as well do what everyone else is doing. 
and you know it's a positive thing it helped me make friends that made school more enjoyable i had people to hang out with at recess and lunch and i think that's for a lot of new arrivals who come here i think that'd be really hard to integrate into australian society sport can play a massive part the benefits of sport port adelaide have shown through the indigenous programs and, and all different programs just sort of the cut through and you know the positive feedback that they get from different schools and different communities and that's a space where adelaide united gone forward it's something we're putting a much sharper laser focus on Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? And you've really touched on this, the power of sport. Oh, it's massive. You know, and from a personal perspective, the personal benefits it can provide health, well-being, but also as a uniting force, you know, bringing people together, you know, even if whether it's on the field or as a crowd, you know, people that may not see eye to eye on certain issues will unite in supporting their team. Definitely. And and their country and the sport in general. You know? And what is it? What is it about sport that gets people so passionate? With soccer, they just love the game. It's unbelievable you know it doesn't matter what's happening in the in the political sphere or in their home country if you got an international tournament if you got the world cup countries that tend to have conflict have to play against each other i can guarantee you that before the game they'll take a united photo and shake hands and after the game they'll shake hands and exchange jerseys and when they're such strong role models and everyone sitting back in their countries watching that happen then they look at themselves and think, well, if it's good enough for them to get along with those other guys, then it's good enough for me to also get along. You know, it just starts the discussion and that's the power of sport. It's just very hard to find another vehicle that brings people together like sport does. And you talked about the fact that, you know, it's such a competitive space to be a player and to, to reach the top, you know, levels that you have. Talk us through some of those challenges and how, like what was your approach? How did you manage to keep navigating and stay on? Because you did it for a number of years. Yeah, I think you've got to be resilient. That's probably the key. I mean, I've got a son who's four and a half years old and I'm talking to him about resilience already. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you always got to try, always try hard. I had a coach who once told me, if you shoot and miss, you don't miss. It's when you choose not to shoot for fear of missing, that's when you really miss, you know, you miss your chance. I think it's important to always try. People are afraid of failure sometimes, so try not, they don't try as hard. Always try your best and, and you've got to stay resilient. You've got to roll with the punches. Things are going to be good, things are going to be really bad. you always got to just try to keep on an, an even keel. Probably the most important thing is controlling the voice in your mind. You know, if you can control that voice in your head, then you're going to be okay. You miss a pass, negative thought. You score a goal, positive thought. You miss a shot, negative thought. You know, should I run there? Should I do this? That voice is constant when you're playing. Voice is always there, even now when I'm talking, right? But um, it's really constant when you're playing a game. I remember an agent sent me, a, it was this piece about quietening your mind. Uh, it was more for tennis players because they were saying, you know, there's a lot of players that at match point never had a double fault all game, double fault, you know, or have match point, lose that game, end up losing the whole game. They say a lot of that is mental. You start to doubt yourself. Am I good enough? Do I deserve to be here? Do I deserve to win? So if you can control that voice in your head, shut it up sometimes, then then that can help you and 
help you persevere and, and stay resilient and all the rest of it. Along your journey, is there any sort of key challenge that you had to get over that sort of stands out or is it more just that constant requirement? I think it's a constant requirement. There's more challenging times than others, but if you apply that same sort of formula, whether the hurdle's low or the hurdle's really high, you tend to be able to jump it. Quitting isn't really an option. <laughs> so there was no sort of key moment if you like that that's coming to the front of my mind at the moment that's funny because i remember when i was young i was lucky social media wasn't that big when i started got a lot bigger as i got later on in my career but by then you got the experience got thick skin you, you know what it takes whereas now it's probably similar to, to kids at school it, it can really <laughs> manipulate and shape people not for the better generally that's another hurdle that players or professional sports people are going to have to contend with but but it shouldn't be used as an excuse as to why they lack uh, any resilience or or driving sort of force to to be better Mm. and it's interesting you mentioned that you know the requirement to have thick skin as you got older and and more experienced you know is that because you would get a lot of negative feedback you know if if a game went wrong are are you personally attacked how does that full on (laughs) yeah right so how do you i mean (laughs) you know the the term thick skin is kind of like what do you actually do you ignore it yeah do you take on board some of that how do you not like it's just so volatile I think if you're going to let social media affect you like that, then you're probably not cut out for it, you know. Mm, But, I mean, it would probably be mainstream media as well. Like, I'm sure it comes from lots of angles. Yeah, I had a pretty good relationship with the mainstream media. I was lucky in that sense. Yeah, the media is a very powerful force. When it gets into mainstream media, that can have a much more significant impact because every average Joe is aware of whatever the situation might be you're playing poorly haven't scored in a long time you know you're on the outer if you've done nothing wrong and you're doing your best and you know everything's kosher then you can block it out because in your conscience and in your heart of hearts you're doing your best and at the end of the day the person who wants to win more than anyone is the player you know and the team and then it's probably the staff because <laughs> that's their livelihoods you know and then then it's the fans you know because they can still wake up in the morning and go to work and nothing's really changed for them, but they don't have as much pride in their team as they may have had before. The fans do have a right to have their opinion, everyone does, but a lot of times it can not be as respectful as it should be and that's where the thick skin comes into play because playing with people's emotions, <laughs> you know, it's an emotional game. So you've got to understand that, I guess. So, you know, you've got to take the good with the bad and roll with the punches. Lots of um, sayings in there, good with bad, roll with the punches. <laughs> yeah. I love it. As far as, you know, your role with Adelaide United and, you know, you obviously you're, the team is trying to attract the best players and, you know, get involved in that. How do you communicate that? You know, how do you attract people to Adelaide? You know, what are some of the ways that you can, you know, make your club somewhere that people want to come and play at? The, the benefit of Adelaide is... It's a fantastic city, South Australia, probably the best state in, in, in Australia. I grew up in Sydney, which is also a great place, to be fair. But I prefer Adelaide for, for a multitude of reasons. Great for families. It's great for individuals as well. You know, Isaias, our former captain, came from Spain. I picked him up from the airport the day he got here. Spoke two words of English. Hello, thank you. That was it. Became a citizen, had his two kids here. He's overseas now playing, but 
I can almost guarantee you he'll come back and live in Adelaide. You know, attracting Australian players here isn't that hard because everyone knows how good Adelaide is, right? So attracting foreigners, they've only ever heard of Sydney and Melbourne. So when you say Adelaide, they're like, mm, where is that? You know, uh, South Australia, no, it's really good. I was in Sydney for the first half of this year. And when I got off of this role in May, I jumped at it because it was like perfect perfect way to get back to Adelaide. Selling the club is also relatively easy. You know, it's a family vibe. It's a humble club. We work hard. We've got a nice boutique stadium at Cooper's. There's a lot of benefits to Adelaide, both as a place and Adelaide United as a club. So scouting the players is relatively smooth sort of sailing. Convincing them to come is not overly difficult at all Mm. the communications at sporting clubs you know Mm. you're often talking to a really dedicated base of fans who feel quite emotionally as you said they're very emotionally attached to the game and therefore have this unique sense of ownership in a way so what tell us about some of the communication with fans like what are the nuances around that no look i think communication the most important is to be direct be honest i'm that sort of a person I don't sugarcoat stuff or lie about stuff. I just tell it how it is. You can't tell fans everything, but tell them what they're entitled to know quite a bit. Members entitled to know probably first and a bit more. They want to know what their club is doing, you know, and at the end of the day, while it's privately owned, it is a bit of a public asset, if you're honest. You know, we've got thousands of members, you know, we've got 10,000 that come at least to watch us every week. So there's a lot of people that if you piss them off (laughs) or you're not communicating or you're not honest, they won't be coming anymore. Without the fans, you don't have a club. So communication with fans is important. We try to be pretty transparent and open with them. I'd be interested to see a survey of what they what they thought about our communication, actually. Obviously, they'd always want to know more and always want to know first. Generally, that's not possible. But where it is, we try to do that. In all my press conferences or, or in all my interviews, I always say exactly how I see it. So they might like what I'm saying or not like what I'm saying, but I can go home and know I've always told the truth. So communication with the fans is important. If you get it wrong then it can really come back to bite. But especially in, in football, we, we try to communicate with our fans openly and managing expectations is another important part of it. South Australians feel like their teams will always win. <laughs> so when they come second, it's like a disaster. You know, we've got to manage expectations and sort of give them an idea of, of what we're aiming for and then they can judge us on on that well bruce thank you so much for joining me in conclusion though can you summarize with bruce's be the drop tip so that's your top tip for communicating to motivate and inspire action i'd say say what's on your mind as long as it's respectful and nothing outrageous obviously there's always disclaimers in these (laughs) in these tips right be honest with yourself and and with whoever it is you're communicating with whether it's an individual whether it's a group of individuals they might not like what you have to say but but as long as you you say it respectfully and it's not a wild sort of idea i think communication is always best when it's done honestly frankly and openly that's what i'd advocate for whether you're talking to your mum or dad or sister or brother or a group of multicultural and linguistically diverse people or indigenous people or in interviews or whatever it might be i think honesty openness is probably the most important fantastic thank you so much thank you thanks for joining me for another episode of be the drop don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes 
Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.